Good morning. Good to be with you here today. You know, I think part of my job as a pastor is to model things for you all so you'll do them as well. And so what I wanted to do today is I wanted to model repentance to Raiders fans everywhere because apparently on Thursday they won a game very decisively and I have been speaking ill about them for a while. And because obviously the the leadership at the Raiders watches my messages, they were upset about that and they chose to respond in this way by scoring so many points in one game. Um, So I wanted to repent of that and uh, say sorry to the Raiders organization and uh, all of you Raiders fans. And, and I've had some people, you know, on our staff and our board of directors, you know, had a person on the board of directors who's a Raiders fan. We have several members of our staff who are infected as well. And so <clears throat> I have had to repent of them. They have come and talked with me about it. So I apologize for that. The problem is you scored all your points and I don't think you're gonna score any more the rest of the season. You just did it all one day. So enjoy the win. Um, look forward to the L next week. Okay, so. Now, with that ridiculous intro out of the way, um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about joy today. So we're going to talk about joy. So the, this, this title of this message is Waiting for Joy. And in this season, um, we have titled this uh, whole series, you know, Waiting for Christmas. And each time we have been talking about waiting for hope in the first week, waiting for peace last week, waiting for joy this week. And next week, we're going to talk about waiting for, long, for love. And part of the reason we've talked about waiting, anticipation, preparation, and all that sort of stuff is that the Christmas time, the Christmas season... <clears throat> is supposed to be about preparation and anticipation, not waiting. And next week, I'm going to draw um, a contrast between those two concepts, is that we don't wait for the coming of Christ. We prepare for the coming of Christ. And those two are vastly different. You know, Advent simply means arrival. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, excuse me, today. And what I want to talk about a little bit is about joy. And I want to do it uh, through kind of the framework of music, because Christmas time is one of those times of year where music plays a prominent role in the celebration, preparation, anticipation, waiting, however you want to describe it, of Christmas time. And I wanted to start off today's discussion by asking this question. What is your favorite Christmas song? Now, there's a right answer to this question, only one, and so I'm going to quiz you in just a second. Don't get it, don't get it wrong. <clears throat> I don't actually know what the right answer is. I'm just kidding. But I wanted to give you some, some very common Christmas songs. So last night, I had kind of a, a little barbecue at my house. We do it for the neighborhood. I'm really offended that you guys all didn't show up. I don't know why you weren't there. Um, but I, I, I put on this playlist, this Christmas playlist. I just kind of went to my favorite streaming um, device, and I typed in, you know, Christmas pray, playlist, and it came up with pretty much the these 10 songs and a bunch of other ones that I just didn't know. And so you tell me if your favorite Christmas song is in here. All I want for Christmas is you. This one's Mariah Carey. It's got to be number one, right? I read something ridiculous that at Christmas time, they play this song so much that Mariah Carey gets like $3 million every Christmas from the sale of this song. So as a ministry strategy, I'm going to begin writing Christmas songs for us to supplement our income here at the church. And so they'll be so bad. So don't even listen to them. All I want for Christmas is you. What about Last Christmas by a band who um, is you know, kind of one of those uh, exclamation point words from like a Batman series. They're called Wham, you know, last Christmas. It's beginning to look a lot 
like Christmas. You can probably hear uh, and maybe are humming some of these tunes. I will not do that to you because I want to reach new people. I don't want to push people away by my singing. <clears throat> Rocking around the Christmas tree. This is one of my favorites. Uh, I'm a guitar player, um, or used to be a guitar player, and so I really enjoy guitar-driven Christmas songs. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I mean, these, these top five would be good enough, but I hear, here are five more. Jingle Bell Rock. This is actually probably the first Christmas song I listen to every year. I, I love this song. I'm not really sure why. Maybe it's just the driving guitar parts in it. <clears throat> White Christmas. White Christmas as well. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. You know, it's more a little downplayed, you know, not as like rocking and stuff. Maybe it puts you in the mood as you're you know, decorating the tree right after Thanksgiving. I know you do that. And then <clears throat> number nine, a holly jolly Christmas uh, as well. And then for skiers and snowboarders everywhere, number 10, let us know, let us know, let us know, which it is not doing. And uh, I'm sorry about that. It'll, it'll happen. But the reason I put these all up is these are probably the top 10 Christmas songs that you've probably listened to, you have on your playlist, that you're, you, when you put them on, you have joy. It brings a smile to your face, and you're like, I really enjoy these Christmas songs. But one of the one things I want to ask, or at least you know, communicate, is that all music communicates a message. All music communicates a message. So my wife and I, um, occasionally we will drive kids to the youth group here. We'll drive kids to our, our kids camp. Um, one of the, my, my wife's dreams is to be the house where all the kids come over and our house just, house just smells like terrible teenager all the time. We've accomplished this mission. They <clears throat> eat all of our snacks and I have nothing to eat and it smells like you know teenage foot all the time. It's just terrible. But one of the things that happens, we've got a few rules, and one of them is that when the kids come over, they have to put their phone on the table right, right when they get in. And we're like totally Grinch parents to them, like, ah, you know, I've got to do this. And so they set their phone down. And one of the other rules I now have is that when I drive kids to church, and we're driving them in and out, or I'm paying for their various meals that they just never stop eating. And um, I discovered in the car, they'll have their phone, and they'll put an, ear, an AirPod in, or some sort of wireless device, and they'll listen to a song uh, in the ear that's facing away from me, and then they'll have full-on conversations. They'll listen to three different types of music, and they'll talk, and they'll try to talk to me. No idea how they do that. But this one time, I caught one of them, and I was like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just, you know, listening, you know, and I was like, well, what are you listening to? And I won't name the name of the song or what it's about, but I I knew the song well enough to go, ooh, that is not a good influential song. And we had this conversation in the car, me and, you know, embarrassingly with this kid and my son and their friends, and they're all like, dad, stop talking, you're embarrassing me. I know, I do that all the time. And so when he's talking with me about it, I was like, hey, have you ever really honed in on the lyrics to that song? Why do you like it? And he's just like, well, I, I like the beat of it. I like how it sounds. I was like, but do you know what it says? Because if you were to take out all that, if you were to just print out, and he's like, print out? We're not going to print. I'm just going to look at the lyrics on my fold, old man. And I was like, okay, calm down. I'll open the door at 60 miles an hour. Get out of here, okay? I would not do that. I'm just kidding. It's just a joke. There are times, though. So... He's, he's telling me about this, and I was like, look, the lyrics to that song, they're really not, if you were to slow it down, if you were to listen to it, it's really not something that, that you should listen to, because all music communicates a message. Now, in the 10 songs that I just showed you, I don't think any of them do this. Do most Christmas songs communicate the coming joy of Christ? Now, those 10 songs that I put up there, while, you know, some of the lyrics seem to suggest Christmas time, some of them are melodic, you know, they're classic, they're played in movies, they make us feel a certain way. Because all music communicates a message, what is the message that they're trying to say? 
And what I want to do today is I want to connect kind of music and, and joy because most of us need to go way, 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 way back to the time when stuff like this was the primary way that people got music, or even more so than this. Now, a friend of mine let me borrow a record player, and as soon as I got it, I realized I don't know nothing about record players. And so I had to Google it, and it was really hard to find a record on here. And so I'm going to try to do this and see if you can, see if you can listen to it a little bit. But... You know, we need to go back farther and farther and farther because today's Christmas music, while it may sound pretty good, the farther back you go and you reach back into history about why Christmas music began in the first place, it was based on the coming of Jesus Christ. The reason Christmas music existed and started was so we could have a joyous way of talking about God coming in to the world. And there was a problem with music in general. Can we put this guy up on the screen? This guy's name is Isaac Watts. Doesn't he just look like a jolly fellow? Like he just, he just want to have dinner with this guy and he's super exciting. Well, Isaac, what, what happened is Isaac uh, watched Christians in church or in public sing songs to God. And the problem he had was when, when during his time, because he was alive 1674, so late 17th and 18th century, he heard people who were Christians or claimed to be sing music to God. And to him, it sounds like, oh, joyful God. And he's like, you guys are terrible. Like you guys, are, in fact, here's a quote from him. As he observed Christian singing, to see the dull indifference, the negligent and thoughtless air that sits upon the faces of a whole assembly of Christians, while the psalm is upon their lips, might even tempt a charitable observer to suspect the fervency of their inward religion. I mean, he's like, you guys got no joy. Like you're singing all this soft stuff about God. We're so grateful for you, Lord. He's like, people coming up, I was like, this is a funeral. Like, this is bad. And so what Sir Isaac Watts did, Isaac Watts is he started to create music that he hoped would drive joy into the hearts of people. Now, <clears throat> slight caveat, last week I introduced this concept that there was a Christmas song that was originally based on Psalm 98. And what I did was I mistakenly attributed that to Hark the Herald Angel Sing last week. But the great thing about our church is people email me and when I'm wrong, they let me know. <laughs> So, shout out to Susan. She was here last gathering. I got to talk with her in the lobby. She's like, I'm so sorry. I was like, I'm not that sensitive, Susan. I've got kids. You're fine. And so she totally said, I said, you're right. And I, I write several messages at a time. Every once in a while, they, they kind of overlap and I get confused. And so the story I told incorrectly last week, I'm going to take correctly. This week, if you're taking notes and I get something wrong, send Roy an email. He would love to hear from you, okay? So... The, what I was trying to talk about last week <clears throat> is that Isaac Watts created a song that is now a Christmas song for us that I'll get to in just a second. He didn't intend to create a Christmas song, but he did. But part of the reason, the way I want to get there is I want to connect two concepts that do not sing, seem to go together at Christmas time. And I'm going to do that from one of the Old Testament scriptures called Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. Now, Zephaniah is one of those um, um, books that some of you are like, I didn't even know there was a Zephaniah where is that out of my Bible? You know, it's part of the Old Testament prophets. There's a, there's a time frame between when Jesus comes and the last uh, prophet who's Italian, Malachi. There's a 400 year, it's Malachi, I'm just kidding. There's a 400 year uh, gap there. And that gap is not exactly joyful. 
I mean, what's happening there is that God is essentially telling Israel, the nation of Israel, you have been unfaithful to me. It's really bad. And most people don't read the minor prophets because they are a bit depressing. It's God bringing judgment. It's God telling them they're unfaithful. It's God telling them to look forward to hope while at their same time realizing that their circumstances are very bad because God allowed and used rival kingdoms and kings to come in to their city and take them hostage and, and, and do all sorts of things that they did not want to do. But in the middle of this story, God peeks into hope and he tells of a coming Messiah, the, the person that, of Jesus Christ who we celebrate as Christmas or for Christmas. And here's what Zephaniah 3 said, right in the middle kind of of this depressing kind of state that they're in. He says this, God says, sing for joy, daughter Zion. Shout loudly, Israel. Be glad and celebrate with all of your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. And this made a major, uh, this was a a really important reason for them because enemies were all around them. They probably didn't, uh, weren't able to do all the things in life that they wanted to do because they were oppressed by a rival nation that got allowed to come into their town. So the king of Israel, not the current king, the, the person who sits upon the throne of the Lord is among you, and you need no longer fear harm. The most common phrase in the Bible, we say this all the time, is to not be afraid. And part of the reason we're afraid is because we do not know what is coming next. People naturally fear the unknown. And so God is helping them understand what can be known is that there will be hope and peace and joy and love, all the things we're looking forward to with those Advent candles that we talked about. So it continues. On that day, It will be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. There's their command again. Zion, do not let your hands grow weak. If you've ever lost strength in your hands, it's usually because you feel hopeless. You can't hold something. So the Lord your God is among you. He's a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. You know, when we think about music, especially worship music, we often think it comes, goes from us to God. That's how we think about it. We think about how we sing the songs, what the words are. And just so you know, our, our team takes a great amount of care and effort choosing songs that not only go along with the message, but communicate the identity and the love and the passion that God has for people. And we, we really think, and maybe we don't say this often enough, the music is the other half of the message. You actually get an hour message every week. You may not know that. It's not my 35 to 45, depending on how long I go that week. It's also the music that comes beforehand because it communicates the identity of who God is. It gives you a reason to stand up, sit, put your hands up, do the hokey pokey, whatever you want to do in worship to communicate to you why you should sing joyfully to him. And so the music is the other half of our message here at LifePoint. But we always think we're singing to him. And what's interesting is that Zephaniah points out something very, very specific. He says, God actually rejoices over you. And God actually delights in you with singing. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, if, if all of the good things in life ultimately come from God, then he has modeled them. He is, his character showcases what we should do and why we should do it. He actually sings over you. He rejoices in you. You know, we think that we're like, God, we're so thankful of what you have done. We love you so much. One of the ways we can never pay you back, but one of the ways we can appreciate what you have done is we'll sing and worship to you. And God goes, no, 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 no. 
I have done that first. I sing in gladness and rejoice over you, my creation. I mean, what an incredible realization for us to know in terms of how musically God sings to you. He rejoices over you through Jesus Christ. Now, if you continue this trend of singing and worship in Psalm 98, which is the basis for the song I'm about to share with you that Isaac Watts uh, wrote it, he based his song, one of the most pivotal songs that you and I sing during Christmas time, he based his song off Psalm 98. This is what I got wrong last week. Again, thank you, Susan, for pointing that out. Appreciate it. It says, let the whole earth shout to the Lord. Be jubilant and shout for joy and sing. Sing to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre a melodious song. With trumpets and the blast of a ram's horn, shout triumphantly. Trumpets are one of those instruments that you take notice. I was literally in the Costco gas station the other day, and this guy's getting gas, and I just see how out comes a trumpet. I was like, okay, we're going somewhere. And he just starts playing Christmas music, and you could hear it wherever you went. And I was like, I got to tune in, right? And it says, with horns, shout triumphantly in the presence of God our King, let the sea and all that fills in it, the world and those who live in it, reason on. Now, some of us might think this is literary hyperbole. Does the sea shout? Do rocks cry out? Does nature seem to sing at the presence of God? Now, in one sense, you know, I'm, I'm probably an analytical, skeptical thinker who just happens to be a Christian. And so, my, my first thought is like, ah, it's just hyperbole. It's just a nice way of talking about how creation wants to give its creator you know, a kind of a thumbs up. But it's hard because, you know, when Jesus was sitting on a donkey riding into Jerusalem and his raving fans were around him, his disciples, they were you know, praising him, you know, and they were saying, you know, your, your, your king comes on a donkey and they were, they were echoing or, or, or helping him into Jerusalem. Some, you know, stuffy Pharisees like, hey, can you keep them quiet? They're singing off key. We don't really like the music. And he's like, look, if I tell them to be quiet, these stones that are around you, they'll sing. And I'm like, Okay, I don't think that's literally a hyperbole. And there's all sorts of science to back this up, and I don't, I don't have time to dork out on you real quick, but there's all sorts of science that seems there's like there's harmonic resonance and there's frequencies that creation seems to give off that more than suggests that inanimate objects with no vocal cords seem, more than seem, maybe actually sing praises, as the Bible suggests, to the creator who gave them life. And we don't think of rocks and other things as having life, but it's almost like Scripture is suggesting all of creation and gratitude and joy with one voice is singing praise to its creator. Because it continues on in, in, in uh, Psalm 98. Let the rivers clap their hands. They don't have opposable thumbs. Uh, gladly they slap us sometimes, you know. Let the mountains shout together for the joy before the Lord, for he is coming. And this is the part that seems weird at Christmas time. He's coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly. Most people are like, time out. That is not on my Christmas cards. Judgment is not there. And this is like a weird juxtaposition of joy and judgment. You know, these things almost seem to be on opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, judgment seems like that's for guilty people. That's for people who have done something wrong. It seems like it's a punishment. It seems like it's harsh. It seems like it's something we don't want for ourselves, but we're super glad when a bad guy gets it, right? And then there's joy. Joy seems to be freeing. Joy seems to be like life-giving. It's a gift. It's an emotion that we want to feel. It's a season. How can these two be overlapped. How can they go together? And we can say it this way, I believe that there is a connection between joy 
and judgment. There's a connection. It's an odd connection. It's not something we would probably aspire to look forward to or to even correlate with the Christmas season. But with the coming of Christ comes the judgment of the world. And I'm going to give you a really stupid analogy that probably says more about me than you really, really want to know. So every once in a while I'll travel and I'll drive. We drive places. Um, sometimes we fly, but sometimes we drive. And it almost never fails. It doesn't matter where we're going. I get pulled over by a police officer. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the way I look. I am not a fast driver. I'm not a, a reckless driver. And if you are in the law enforcement, this is not an indictment against you. It's against me. I don't know what it is. Please tell me what I do to make you want to pull me over. I'm not sure what it is. But it almost goes without fails. My wife is like, when's it going to happen? It's like a joke. And so like every time, I don't get nervous a lot, but when I drive by a police officer going like, 10 miles an hour into the speed limit. I was like, here's what's going to happen. And this one time, I was driving uh, an old, I have an older car, and I was just driving it to make sure it was still running and all that sort of stuff. And I didn't realize my registration was out. And so I get pulled, pulled over. My kids are in the car, and they're like, uh-oh, dad's in trouble. I was like, be quiet. You're grounded back there, you know? So the police officer is super nice. They're like, hey, your registration is out. Got to give you a ticket. I was like, okay, cool. So they give me a ticket. It's not a big deal. I'm driving home. No joke. Get pulled over again. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, you guys are out. But you know what was amazing? I was like, I already got a ticket. Ha! Ha! You already got me. Can't get me again. You cannot get me. So I didn't mind. I had a great chat with the police officer, but I got to show them, like, you already judged me, and I am guilty. I get it. Now, the reason that analogy is stupid, but also somewhat informative, is that if you get judged ultimately by God, you never have to worry about it again. It's part of the reason that judgment is a good thing, because God will, can, does, and someday will again judge the world. He will judge the world. It will be final for all time. And the way, and the way I think I would say this is that we can't have lasting joy until there is lasting judgment. You can't. Let me give you a couple examples. If I were to put you in a courtroom and you were to say, um, I've got some people I would like to be judged, you could come up with a list. Some of them would probably be your relatives, your neighbors, your friends. You could come up with a list. You could say, you know what, this person has harmed me, this person has done wrong. Or you would say, look, as I look out into the world, I can see some world leaders, some politicians, some pastors, some priests, whatever it is, I can see that they need to be judged by God. God, will you do that? And instinctively inside, you would be after the heart of God that righteousness and judgment is a part of his plan, that one day when he comes back, because arrival, I mean, Advent simply means arrival, and we think of arrival as Christmas time, but that's just the first arrival. You know, Scripture talks about God coming back to finish His plan and to put the entire world right. I mean, talk about joy. I mean, when you reach back into the back of the New Testament and you see that God says there'll be no more death, there'll be no more tears, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more people harming people, there will be no more sin, what point in history has a joy like that the moment after that? No, no point in history. So judgment is good for the world and good for us. And what I hope to show at the end of today's messages is good for you as well. So to kind of summarize what we've learned so far from Psalm 98 and from Zephaniah chapter 3, we could say it this way. You know, God, God sings with joy over his creation. Maybe this is the most pivotal thing you needed to hear today. You are a part of his creation, and he has found joy in you with delight and gladness 
He sings because he loves you and is, really does find joy. And maybe that's so hard for certain people to understand. Because if I were to look deep into your soul and you were to look deep into my soul, you would probably find some things you'd be like, Ugh, I don't think so. If you were to look deep in my soul, you'd be like, double, uh, uh, I don't think so. And that's not a theologically technical term. Like it's not a Hebrew term. Uh, it's just kind of my term. But the thing is, if you were to look, if I were to sit you down, I would say, are there things in your life you regret? Have you harmed people? Do you believe that you are a good person? Do you believe that God has looked inside of your soul and just found purity? You'd probably say no, if you're honest. And then if we were to do that with me, I would say, I can't say yes. In fact, I'd probably take Paul's approach that maybe I'm the worst among all people. And then I would have to respond, and maybe you would respond, with gratitude. So Christmas time is the coming of the Lord who has said, yeah, I know what you did. I was there. You were kind of an idiot for a while. Don't worry. You're going to be an idiot again later. I've seen that one too. Like I've seen the future. And this is, again, just blows our mind. Is that before the creation of the world, God saw our past, present, and future, and he decided, you know what? I want to be with these people. And I want to save them. And I want to be their God. And I want them to be my people. And before anything else, I want to sing with gladness over them because they will be the joy of my heart. I mean, it's surprising it's one of the reasons that makes God worthy of worship. Number two, creation sings with joy to its creator. We kind of discovered this, rivers and mountains and rocks. According to God, all of creation sings in unison to their creator. Thank you so much, God, for creating us. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. Number three, angels sing with joy about the creator entering into creation. We talked a bit about this a little bit last week. If you didn't get to watch the message, highly recommend you go back and listen to it because we talked about how peace is very different from what we think it is. And the angels went out to the shepherds and they were super frightened. And you know, the shepherds probably said some things that we can't record in the Bible. You're like, I'm not saying that. They're like, there's an angel there. Oh, sheep, you know, something like that. I don't know what it was. It was probably a different word with four letters. But the angels came to them and said, this news is so good. We can't just tell it to you. And I don't exactly know how this happened. But the shepherds were in the field. The angel was talking to them. And he said, you know what? Talking isn't enough. Let's bring out the band. And, and the angels come out and they sing in joyful expectation and gratitude. There's something about music and singing that glorifies God in a way that speech does not. And then finally, you know, you and I are missing in this, but we'll put us in here. People are supposed to sing with joy to the creator will save all of creation. This is at the beginning of the Christmas story. You know, Zechariah, when he realizes that he will have a miraculous son, he responds with a song after he's able to talk again. And Mary, if she realizes she will birth the Savior of the world, responds in salvational terms. God has saved me. He has shown favor on me. Like, People, we are supposed to respond with joyful singing. It doesn't mean you have to have a good voice. It means that you have to have the heart that is willing to shout with gratitude to him. So Isaac Watts, based on Psalm 98, he wrote a song that was never intended to be a Christmas song. He just wanted people to have renewed passion and vigor and joy when they, saw, when they sung. Now, people, to be clear, are people who are Christians, people who have said yes to Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord of their life to the best of their abilities. They want to live for him for the rest of their life. And they, they said, look, 
All of my time and effort and talents and everything are yours, God. That's who he is thinking of. And he felt like those people should sing in a way that is far different from any way than anybody sings any song at any time. And so he came up with a song that you and I only sing some verses of. There's a verse that's left out, and I'm going to include that for you today. And here's the song he created. It's called Joy to the World. This is the song that he wrote. It was never meant to be a Christmas song. Someone took some of his notes. They put Christmas music to it. And now it's a staple at Christmas time. And you know the lyrics. Don't worry, we're trying to reach people, so I won't sing them to you because I don't want to drive you and your friends away. It says, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let the earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. It's not quite the same when I just verbally say it, is it? It's different when you sing it. And it says, joy to the earth. The Savior reigns. The Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Again, it's right there in his tune. He looks into Psalm 98, and he says, it's not just people that sing out to God. It's all of creation. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Now, this next verse is the verse that's left out. <clears throat> it doesn't sound like Christmas time. So I don't know if it was the original person who took it out, or maybe just somewhere there's a committee that just says, this doesn't sound like Christmas. We're going to take it out. So here's the verse that you don't normally get and you don't normally sing. It says this, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. For as the curse is found, for as the curse is found. Not exactly Christmas-like, right? You're like, yay, we're singing about curses. What does that have to do with the tree and stuff? Like the reason this is so important is this the pivotal verse in this song. You know, Jesus came into the world not so we could put up a tree and give each other gifts. You know, he came into the world for this right here. You know, the beginning of Scripture talks about how mankind was cursed because of the choices that they had made to abandon their relationship with God. It wasn't passive, it was active. And in so doing, human beings cursed themselves and all of creation. Maybe, this is just my opinion, maybe part of the reason creation sings to God is because creation is cursed by people. We brought it in. We brought the curse to all creation. And they look to God. Creation's got it before we do. They're like, yep, the only way to salvation for us is through God. And there's a little bit of offensiveness. Rocks are a little bit smarter than we are sometimes. They looked at Jesus before we do. I know it's a little offensive. But this is the reason that this song is so pivotal. And I'm about to say something that is going to sound heretical at first. So bear with me. I'm telling you in advance. You and I do not celebrate Christmas because Jesus came as a baby. We do not. That is not the basis for our faith. It is not the reason that Christmas time is important. The reason that Christmas time is important is because that baby grew up to be a man who we knew is more than a man, and he took care of this curse. It's just act one. Christmas time is the first coming of Christ. And it's so interesting because these songs aren't songs sung to a baby. They're sung to a man who grew up and became the savior of the world. Now, he had that identity before he was even born. 
The prophets told us that he would be the Prince of Peace, the Savior of the world, and the government would be on his shoulders, and he would bring peace to the entire world. It was foretold. But Mary and Zechariah and the shepherds and the angels, all of them were pointing forward to what he would do to take care of the curse. Christmas time is the beginning of the end of the curse. You continue in the song. It says this, he rules the world with truth and grace. <clears throat> Never known a baby to rule the world. If it is, that would be very scary, right? He makes the nations prove the glory of his righteousness and wonders of his love, which we'll talk about next week. And wonders of his love and wonders of his love. <clears throat> so this is a bit of a historical lesson, a bit of a musical lesson. How exactly <clears throat> can this apply to you? And now, I'm glad you asked that question. So I brought three things. And I, I think I'm going to form it in this question. I'm going to give you three things to do. First one is this. How should we experience and express joy during Christmas? And I'm going to be very clear. I want to talk to the Christians in the room first. So Christians in the room first. If you're not a Christian, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to sit somewhere else. I just hope you'll listen to this and probably nod your head and say, yeah, if you, if you guys did that, that would be super helpful. Or maybe you're just like, oh, I've never tried that. Maybe, a, maybe this will make me try this Christianity thing. The first one is this. We should thank God that he judges us through Christ. This is the first thing. We said there's no lasting joy without lasting judgment. Again, coming back to my point about if I were to look deep inside your heart and you were to look deep inside my heart, you know what isn't a Christmas like movie and Christmas cards? You're guilty and you deserve death and you're cursed. And if you do not give your life to Christ, you will spend an eternity without you. Don't see many Christmas cards like that. I've never received one. But the big deal is, is that we should acknowledge the fact that that would have been... <clears throat> our future, if it hadn't have been for Jesus Christ. That when God judges us, Jesus goes, hey, they're with me. Yeah, I know they've, they've done some bad things, some terrible things, things that, you know, I'd convict them as well. But that's not my job. My job is to give them freedom and to give them life eternal, life that begins here and now. And maybe the first thing we should do to experience and express joy in our own lives, in our own personal lives, because this one's just for you, is to thank God at Christmas time because Jesus didn't come into the world so we could put up trees and give gifts to each other and sing songs that weren't about him. We need to go old school and we need to sing songs about what he will do for the world. Which brings us to our second point. Maybe we should choose Christmas songs that sing about Christ. Maybe we should do that. Now here, here's the thing. Music is different from almost every other form of communication. Let me give you an example. When you leave today and you go somewhere and you grab lunch, you're going to forget everything I said today. And I'm super offended by that, but I have to get rid of that. Uh, there's nothing I can do about that. And just so you don't feel left out, I'm going to forget what I say. <laughs> like during the week, someone's like, you said this. I was like, that sounds way too smart. Didn't say it. And they're like, no, you did. You said that. I was like, I don't remember. I don't even remember what I said. But here's the thing about music. For some of you who have seen many winters, you can reach back in time and you could pick out the lyrics to a song from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s because music communicates in a different way than just verbal communication. You listen to it over and over. And I wish you would go home and listen to my messages five times this week, but you're not going to do that. I don't even like doing that, so don't do it. But what I am saying is that music <clears throat> goes on repeat in our lives. 
And if I gave you some, maybe some classic rock or some Frank Sinatra or something, you could pick out a song, you could probably do all the lyrics. Because it's ingrained in you. You listen to it over and over, and there's a melodic, melodic line attached to it, and you can get back the words. So maybe, maybe if we re-ingrain songs about Christ, they'll instill in us a joy that we didn't have before. And if you don't know what those songs are, I brought a list. Can we put that up? How about this list? <clears throat> oh, come all you faithful, little town of Bethlehem, God rest you married gentlemen. It became a modern night clear. The first Noel, way in a manger, a holy night, silent joy, hark herald the angels singing joy to the world. If you just listen to these songs that communicate <clears throat> the joy found in Jesus Christ, and maybe, maybe a challenge to you this week and between now and Christmas is to sing these songs on repeat. Because Joy to the World says they resound like an echo chamber. The theology that is communicated, or more accurately, the personal nature of the relationship that God has with his creation is found in these songs. It's maybe then putting on something that, like Jingle Bell Rock, which I really like, maybe I need to turn here. And maybe you do as well. And then the third one is this. <clears throat> we should bring joy to others because God has brought joy to us. Don't be the Scrooge at the party. Don't, please. Like I'll tell you, when I was an atheist, man, there were times when I was just like, you Christians look miserable. Why would I want to join? Like you're just, you're miserable all the time. And then I, I, I found some Christians who were joyful. I was like, okay, there's, there's difference there. There's difference. I mean, you're going to go to some parties with family members you don't even like. Just be honest with yourself. It's a safe place here. I get it. You're going to go to you know, like family, uh, family members' houses, friends, neighbors, and part of you will not want to be there. Especially if you're a fellow introvert like me, you're like, I just want to be home doing something else. But you need to communicate, and I think you need to communicate, and we need to communicate, the joy that only comes through Jesus Christ. You actually should be the life of, of the party. And I don't mean that you're like woo and like extroverted and you're like a crazy person. Don't do that. But what I am saying is that Christmas time is hard for a lot of people. For some people, this is their first Christmas without someone that they love. They lost them in October, November, July, and they're just wrecked. Or maybe it's the second one, and it feels like the first. For some people, they just lost their job, or they have a job that doesn't make ends meet. And Christmas time isn't exactly joyful, because while everybody is out buying gifts for their family, they're just trying to afford one. Or maybe for some people, they're just lonely. We have yet to realize how the pandemic has created an epidemic around human loneliness. It is a big deal. But what if, what if the Christian at the party is the one who brings joy? What if the Christian at the gathering is the one who says, hey, I see you. And you don't have to be weird. You don't have to preach a sermon. Don't be the weird religious people at the party. You will not get invited out back again unless that is your goal. Then be the weird religious person. But you could just say, you know what? I know things are hard. I just want to let you know, I love you and God loves you. He does. And God is so, so pleased in you through his son, Jesus Christ. That's it. Don't be weird, but bring joy and be the person at the party. It's like there is so much to be thankful for. Your health, your family, your friends, our conversation right now. Bring joy maybe where there is none. Let's pray. 
<clears throat> Father, we're grateful for all the scripture. We're grateful for Isaac Watts, who lived, you know, 400 years ago, 300 years ago or so, who has given us a song, you know, for the ages. Lord, as we sing in our cars and we listen to music, you know, convict our hearts to sing about you. You know, music was created to glorify you. Anything else doesn't. Lord, help us sing songs and with joyful gladness on repeat so we may resound your mercy and your grace and your love and your peace and your joy that you have brought to us and brought to us personally. Lord, let us bring joy wherever we go. Does the people look up and say, why do you have peace and joy and hope and love that we may have a small conversation with them about the God who loves us first? And Lord, thank you so much. The Christmas time is a reminder that we need to be judged, and we have been through your son, Jesus Christ. You have given us too much in him. And for those people who do not yet know you, Lord, I pray that they find the joy, the peace that transcends under all understanding, and the hope and the love that is found in your son, Jesus Christ, the baby, the man, the Savior, the Messiah. In your name, Jesus, amen. Thanks for being here. I just got two things real quick. Christmas at Life Point is next week. I hope you'll invite a neighbor, a friend, everyone you know. We've got invite cards out there. Uh, I've got a, hopefully what is a good message for you, so I hope you really enjoy it. And then also our church merch shop is open. Go buy all the t-shirts. You're already blessed in Christ. Have a great Sunday. Thank you for being here.